Let's begin with a prayer this morning. Father God, pray that you would speak to us clearly today. I'm so thankful to have your word in front of us. I pray that when we hear it, we would believe it. Pray for those who are with us today who do not yet believe that you would open their eyes and open their hearts to this truth today. I pray that many would be saved by your word. I pray that many would be encouraged by your word today. All this I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You can't underestimate, or you can't rather overestimate, the power of a really good question. Asking the right questions is incredibly important. It's, it's invaluable to calculate just the right sort of question in order to get at what it is you want to know. Recall when we were, we had a search, I'm all kinds of reverberating, <laughs> and, uh, when we had a search committee together to look for an associate pastor, before we even started looking for Trevor, we formulated what were the right questions to ask based on what is it that we want to know, what's important to us. We decided, we knew that it was going to be important to us to find somebody who had learned in life how to work hard. You know, I, I wasn't going to want to do a lot of management. I wanted somebody who already knew how to work and would go about their job and do it well. And so we were thinking, what's the right questions to ask about prior experience, uh, to learn if this is the kind of person who at some point in their life worked on a farm or worked in a demanding job or just knew how to work because we needed somebody who did that. We also knew that we wanted to hire on somebody who already knew that they were called to be a senior pastor. We didn't want somebody where youth or children's ministry was their plan for the rest of their life or, or somebody who didn't really have any plans any further than just getting a job. We wanted somebody who already knew that their calling was to be a senior pastor. So we had to formulate the right questions to find that person. Knowing and being able to ask just the right question is, is just incredibly important. And in order to understand hard passages in Scripture, like the one we have in front of us today, the trick to getting it is going to be asking the right questions. When we read this passage that we're going to read, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and we'll read all of it, there's going to be a lot of questions that come up. There's going to be a whole lot of questions for you today. This passage has raised so many questions over time. What's going to be important for us is focusing on the right questions and asking them in the right way. So let's take some time today and read 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Paul says to the church in Thessalonica, Now, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to Him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to be easily upset or troubled, either by prophecy or by a message or by letters supposedly from us, alleging that the day of the Lord has come. Don't let anyone deceive you in this way. For that day will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. 
He opposes and he exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he sits in God's temple, proclaiming that he himself is God. Don't you remember that when I was still with you, I used to tell you about this? And you know what currently restrains him so that he will be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. But the one now restraining will do so until he is out of the way, and then the lawless one will be revealed. The Lord Jesus will destroy him with the breath of his mouth, will bring him to nothing at the appearance of his coming. The coming of lawless one is based on Satan's working with all kinds of false miracles, signs, and wonders, and with every wicked deception among those who are perishing. They perish because they did not accept the love of the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sent them a strong delusion, so they will believe the lie, so that all will be condemned, those who did not believe the truth, but who delighted in unrighteousness. But we ought to thank God always for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord, because from the beginning God has chosen you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit, through belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel, so that you might obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold to the traditions you were taught, whether by what we said or by what we wrote. And may the Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God our Father, who has loved us and given us eternal encouragement and good hope by grace, may He encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good work and word. This is the word of the Lord today. There's a lot going on here. How about a quick recap? First, Paul says to them, don't be upset, don't be troubled, especially concerning the return of Christ, and that day when He gathers together all the saints. So, Christ is going to return, and He's going to gather together all the saints. But Paul is talking to them because he doesn't want them to be troubled or to be deceived. Apparently, somebody's been coming and trying to deceive them. He says that day won't happen until first this apostasy happens, and a man of lawlessness is revealed. You might say to yourself, well, who is this man of lawlessness? Well, It's the one who opposes and exalts himself over everybody else who's claiming to be God or false gods, but also sits in God's own temple and says that he himself is greater than the one real God. Paul says that he's already talked to them about these things. Paul says, you guys guys remember how I used to tell you about these things. I talked to you about this. Paul says that this man, this man of lawlessness or man of sin, your scripture may say, This man is currently restrained. He has restraints, and there's a restrainer restraining him and holding him back. But that the mystery of lawlessness or sin is already at work in the world, and that at just the right time, this man will be revealed, and when he is revealed, at just the right time, what happens to him? Immediately destroyed. (laughs) He's revealed and then immediately destroyed by the breath of Christ. Like blowing out a candle, Christ goes, and his enemy is destroyed, and that's the end of it. Just the very same voice of Jesus that calmed the waves of the sea by saying, shh, to the waves, so he destroys his enemy. 
He's revealed and immediately destroyed. This man is in line with Satan, apparently, so not Satan himself, but in line with Satan in the way of Satan, and he is leading those who are perishing. Now, it's important, Paul says, they're not perishing because they've been deceived. They're perishing because they didn't want the truth anyway and to so be saved. They didn't love righteousness. They loved unrighteousness, and so it is God who is sending them Uh, an even greater lie that they should believe in it, and they should be further deceived because they didn't love the truth at all. And so it's as if God is handing them over to an even greater foolishness. If you believe that, then here, believe this as well. If you're unwilling to love the truth, then you'll not only have falsehoods, but you'll have them in greater and greater abundance. God called them to truth. As far as the people in this passage, the people in the church, He says, but not you guys. No lies for you. God called you to the truth. Believe the truth. Love the truth. God chose you out for salvation. He cleaned you up by the Holy Spirit. He is at work in your life now, purifying you and helping you to believe. So all that they need to do is to stand firm on what they've already heard. There's a bunch of deceptions. There's a bunch of wild things going on. All they need to do is stand firm on what they've already heard. And then Paul gives them this blessing. May God encourage your heart and strengthen you in every good work and every good word. All right? This brings up a lot of questions, doesn't it? You might be already calculating a little list in your mind. Who, what, when, especially? This has a lot of questions. Let's try just quickly to answer a few questions about this passage. What's upsetting them? Try, try on your own before I give you the answer. What is upsetting these people in this church? Well, apparently there's reports, false reports, that Jesus has already returned. That's what Paul says. He says, listen, concerning the return of Christ when he gathers up the saints, I don't want you to be disturbed. I don't want you to be upset. There's some false rumors going on out there that Jesus has already returned. That's apparently the case of the rumor. The idea being perhaps uh, that Christ has already returned, so if their sins hadn't been forgiven by now, it's not happening to them because Jesus has already come back. Time's up. If you didn't already get in, you're not getting in now. It's this idea. Or, oh, you missed it. You missed Jesus coming back. You weren't paying attention. It's over with. They were upset by this. And Paul's answer is, you shouldn't be upset. You know there's other things that are going to happen before that time. Specifically, an apostasy. So here's another good question for us. What is an apostasy or a rebellion, Scripture may say? Well, it's either the falling away of many believers or it's a battle against God. One way or another, those words are very similar, apostasy and rebellion. It's a time in which there are some force or some people who are rebelling against God and who this is a really important one. Who? Who is this man of lawlessness? And some translations will say man of sin. Who is this person? Well, the passage says that this is someone who hasn't been revealed yet. So, there's your answer. (laughs) Who is this person? Well, the passage we just read says this is a person who hasn't been revealed yet and won't be revealed until later. So, if you're looking for a concrete identity, I've got bad news for you. Uh, This very passage answers the question who, and the question who is someone who hasn't been revealed yet, but it talks more about the person. This is someone who opposes and exalts himself over all other so-called gods out there, but then also exalts himself over the one true God. This is a person who is currently restrained by God somehow. There is a restrainer. God, the important part you understand here is God is in control over all of this every piece of this. This person, whoever it is, is restrained by God right now, 
and at some point, not because the restraints wear out, but because God chooses, it's the right time, God relieves these restraints, and that mystery is revealed. And what happens to this person? Immediately destroyed. Immediately. I mean, it's not, it's not close. There's not a, you can't call that a battle. It's not even close. He's revealed for the purpose of being destroyed. And what's the purpose of this person, whoever this is? Well, this is somebody who comes in the pattern of Satan, in the the style of Satan, that is deception and deceiving, for the purpose of deceiving. And it says that this too is something under God's control, that there are these people out there who just hear truth and prefer unrighteousness to it. They hear what's good and right and true and say, no, that's not it for me. I'm going with what's false. I prefer that. I know what's true. I don't care. I'm going with what's false. And so God hands them more delusions so that they'll believe these delusions. It's because they have already chosen delusion that they're given more delusion. It also says in this passage that there's a pattern, that a mystery of lawlessness is already at work in the world. One challenge for understanding this passage is whoever this man of lawlessness is, we Christians are supposed to expect him and expect his being revealed. And so Christians throughout the centuries, and even before this passage was written, see people who seem to fit this pattern, see people who are setting themselves up as opposed to God and deceiving many people in this way. The pattern goes back to Pharaoh in Egypt in the Old Testament. It also goes back, even before Jesus comes down on earth and Paul writes this letter, it goes back to Antiochus IV who desecrated the temple in Jerusalem in 167. He came in himself, he slaughtered unclean animals, on the. he just desecrated the temple before everyone else. And I mean, he fits this pattern too, this mystery of lawlessness. Then again, it happened before Christ came by Pompey, the Roman general, who also came in and desecrated the temple once more and said, there was, a, there was a pattern already at work. They had seen things like this. It wasn't new for them to see people who were saying that they were God or holding themselves up over other gods and holding themselves up over the one true God. People have been doing that all along. This, this pattern, this mystery of lawlessness had been going on. And then in trying to understand this passage, Christians throughout time since it have seen many people to fit this role. I mean, first of all, it happens with the evil Roman Roman emperor Nero. He started persecuting all kinds of Christians after his restrainer, his teacher, Seneca, passed away and died. Then he got real crazy. The temple itself is destroyed in 70 AD after the time of Nero. Then... Once the empire, empire under Constantine accepts Christianity in the three and four hundreds, you know, they begin to see themselves, Rome, the empire, the now Christianized empire, as the restrainer holding back all the evil forces out there. And then it'll happen, even later on, that the Eastern Church, once the Eastern and Western Church, the Roman Catholic Church, and then the Eastern Orthodox Church split apart as the Roman Empire splits apart, the Eastern Orthodox see themselves as the church and the nation, as the restrainers against the man of lawlessness that is Islam, coming in from the east and opposing them. And so they interpret it that way. By the 
1500s, the reformers like Martin Luther, they in turn see the Pope as the Antichrist and the man of lawlessness. That's the one who is now revealed. They say the restrainer is gone and it's clear that the Pope is the Antichrist, is the man of lawlessness. I listened in preparation for this sermon, I listened to a sermon from 1958, 1958, that was 65 years ago. Uh, And a very famous pastor at the time was talking about this passage because it's such an interesting passage that has been interpreted so many different ways all across time. Who is this person? How are they opposing God? And in 1958, that pastor was telling his congregation, he says, y'all be careful, be ready. It's about to happen. China's rising up. Mao Zedong, you know, these, these evil, socialist, godless empires Russia under Stalin, as Stalin had just died, and in 58, Khrushchev was now in charge of Russia. He's saying, oh, the the rise of all of these officially atheistic empires in the world, these ones are this pattern of lawlessness and this man of lawlessness, or perhaps others have interpreted it to be various Middle Eastern ayatollahs, the Antichrist, and the ones who set themselves up over it. I wonder if that pastor would, I wonder what he would have thought if he had lived another 65 years to today and it would have just been different names, Xi Jinping and Vladimir Putin perhaps, uh, than Mao Zedong and Stalin. You understand there's a certain pattern, right? There's always been this pattern of sin and lawlessness, these who set themselves up over God. It goes back to Pharaoh. It goes back to Nebuchadnezzar who makes a giant gold statue of himself for everybody to worship. The fact that there are people out there who say there is no God but me and you shouldn't thank God, you should thank me for what you've been given in life is not new and it continues on throughout the world. Perhaps the better question for us to ask is, was one of those people this man of lawlessness who is revealed or is there yet one more to come in the future? And they were just in the pattern of men of lawlessness. Okay, certainly there are more questions we could ask. But I just want to ask three questions today that I can give you an answer to. I want to give you a few questions that I think are the most critically important here. Three questions. First of all, why does God give a glimpse of the future without telling us everything about the future? That's what happens here. You get this glimpse, but an incomplete glimpse. You, you get some things, but not the answers to all of your questions. So here, I think, is the most important question. Why is it that this God of ours would give you an incomplete glimpse of the future? You might be thinking, what I would have really liked is nothing or everything. It would have been all right if he didn't tell me what was going on. He's God after all. And it sure would have been nice if you would have told me everything that was going to happen so I could just walk down the checklist and know exactly where I was in time and space and when Christ was going to return. But this God at this time has chosen to give us a glimpse, an incomplete glimpse. So here's the real question. Why would God give us an incomplete glimpse of future realities? And then two other questions will quickly follow after it. What does he want us to know? If there's a lot of things here that you don't know and can't know, and they're mysteries, and it says specifically this hasn't been revealed yet, okay, well then what does God want us to know? You see, that's a really good question. And finally, and most importantly, what does God want us to do right now? So why would God give us an incomplete glimpse of the future? 
since he gave us some information, what does he want us to know? And most importantly, put it all together, what does he want you to do because of this today? First, we'll take them in order. Why does God give us an incomplete glimpse of the future? God gives us an incomplete glimpse of the future, not so that we will know everything, but so that we will trust Him and put our hope in Him, so that we will live expectantly, is the way the old Christians used to talk, so that we will live hopefully, so that we will be a kind of people who are looking forward to the future with hope and excitement, so we're the kind of people who live joyful about what is going to come, even if the next thing that happens isn't good. We're the kind of people who look forward to the future joyfully, even if everything, all the signs point to something scary, because we've already been given a glimpse of the future. And clearly, God's purpose was not to tell us everything, but to tell us enough that we would trust Him and put our hope in Him and have faith in Him. God wants you to live firm and established. And that's why this whole passage exists. Why would God give an incomplete glimpse? Because He wants them to stand firm, but He wants them to stand firm on Him, not on what they know, but on Christ Himself. They are to stand firm, but they are to stand firm in trusting God, not on what they know. Second, another good answer for why God gives incomplete glimpses God gives incomplete glimpses of the future because He wants us to understand and discern a pattern of the way things work. God is always the same by nature. God is always good. God is always loving. God is always honest and trustworthy. God always speaks what is true. God always does what is right. And so you can discern a pattern to the way God works. The way of God is not a lawless way of working. It's an orderly progression of working. The way of God is a kind and gentle way of working. The way of God is a working of love in your life, not anger and hatred. And so, since God works this way, anybody opposed to Him has to work the opposite because of the way God works. And so, you can see a pattern all along that there's There's not two equal forces, but there is an enemy, and so the enemy follows a certain pattern, and it's always to deceive you. If God speaks truth, the enemy is interested in deception. If God is good, no surprises here, the enemy is evil. If God is loving, then this enemy is hateful and spiteful. So you can understand and perceive a pattern to the way history works. Those early Christians who saw this passage fulfilled by Antiochus and by Nero and then uh, by Vespasian and Titus after him, who, who saw it fulfilled in the rise of Islam, who saw it fulfilled in the degeneration of the papacy into evil and sin, they weren't wrong, not entirely. Uh, that fits the pattern. That is the way this works, is somebody saying that they're the one who is in charge and not God. But that doesn't mean that there's also not a future fulfillment of this. God wants you to understand the pattern of the way things work, finally, so that you won't be easily fooled or deceived or upset or troubled. Why would God give you a glimpse but not the full story? Because He wants you to stand firm and not be easily troubled. 
but he wants you to trust him. This is what is best for us, not knowing everything, but knowing that we can rely on him completely and wholly. That's what's best for us. If you were hoping for every answer to every question that you had today, that's not wrong to want those things, and they will be given to us at some point when Christ returns. But for now, the very best thing for you is that you would know enough from Scripture to trust God completely with the rest of your life every day between now and the last one. That's what God wants for these people, and that's what God wants for you, is that you wouldn't be easily shaken, that you wouldn't be easily alarmed, that you wouldn't live every day of your life just in fear and constantly feeling overwhelmed, but that you would know, even in the middle of overwhelming circumstances, that God is in control, both of the future and that God is in control now. So why would God give us incomplete glimpses? We've answered it well, I think, so that we'll trust Him And what does He want us to know? What are the glimpses that He gives us? What are the things that He does answer for us? Well, first of all, it's real clear in this passage. God wants us to know that there's a process ahead. There's more than one step to God's plans. It's just always the way it is. It's always the way God's worked. God said to Abraham, leave your your home country, and I'm going to make you a great nation and bless the world, and I'm going to give you a land and all these descendants. Right? So Abraham left his own country, and the very next day, he had a pile of children. All the prophecies were fulfilled right then and there. No. There was a process. There were steps to it. This is the way that God works. And so you might see, oh, Christ hasn't returned yet. Oh, no, maybe he's not going to. No, no, calm down. You should understand, if you don't see Christ's return immediately, There was always a process to it. There was always purpose. There were always steps. It doesn't mean that God is absent. It means that God is at work, but there's a couple of things that are going to happen first. Hold your horses. You could see yourself being an excited child, hearing your father promise to you, yes, we're going to go get ice cream. And you, every two minutes, is it now? Is it now? Is it now? Listen, I'm keeping my promise. We are going to do it, but I need you to back off for a minute because there's a couple of things that have to happen first. Hold tight. This is the way it is with God, and this is the way it is with us. He's given us a glimpse and a promise, but He's also let us know, just wait. There are other things that are going to happen in the meantime, and it doesn't mean God's not going to keep His promise. All the more, it helps us to trust that He is going to keep His promise. So we are not going to start doubting God because we don't see the promises fulfilled immediately. Rather, we trust Him all the more because He said there would be some intermediate steps. What else does God want us to know from this passage? God wants you to know that He is in control, not just of the future, but of the present. It's not just, okay, God's, Christ is going to return at just the right time, and in the meantime, it's wild. No, no. He is both in control of the future, and He is in control right now, even in the midst of this. There's a challenging question to answer here about the problem of suffering, and the problem of evil, and the problem of pain, of why are these things allowed? But God doesn't provide an answer for that. What He does provide is very clearly that He is continually at work. 
God doesn't provide an answer for why He allows some man of lawlessness and mystery of lawlessness to be at work, but He does say clearly, I'm absolutely in control and restraining by whatever means I want to restrain. Someday I'll reveal it, and then the victory. We are to be comforted by the fact that God is in control over all the nations right now, over all the conflicts between the nations that are going on right now, over the days of our lives, over lawlessness, over Satan himself. It's not just that God is going to win the victory, it is that God is in complete control of it all right now. If you're worried, it's okay to be worried. There's a lot of worrying things out there in the world. But perhaps I could share with you some hopeful things to help you recall that God is at work. There is apparently a very powerful revival going on right now in Asbury Seminary. This is a Methodist seminary. But they're in their like sixth day of continual revitalization and spiritual awareness in this worship service that has been going on continually. And my first question when I heard about this at this Methodist seminary is, why not one of our Baptist seminaries? I mean, come on, we've got our own seminaries. Where's our revival? God is at work, though. And it's been incredible to see even one of our former directors of the North American Vision Board who went to see what was happening, and he himself responded and said, oh, no, this is really happening. God is at work. He's never stopped, not for a moment. And even now, though there are many things to worry about, the main story of what is going on is that the kingdom of heaven is advancing in the world and God is achieving His goals and people are coming to trust Him now everywhere. You're not going to hear that story everywhere else, but it remains true. What does God want you to know? There's some steps. There's a process. Don't get antsy. But two, He wants you to know that He is in control and He wants you to know that His victory is absolutely assured. Do you like a close football game? I like a close football game, especially when my team is not involved. So today, my team's not involved. Jerry Jones and I thought it was our year, but it's, you know, my team, it wasn't, all right, all right, never is. No surprises here. My team's not involved, so you know what I want today? I'd like to see a close game. Because after all, this is all football. It's all just entertainment. It's, it's, it's entertainment. And so I want to be entertained. And you know what's entertaining? A close game. A nail-biter. I want to see something exciting and close. But Christ's return is not like a game. It's more like war. And you know what you don't want is if your nation goes to war. We don't want it to be anywhere close. We want to be total and complete and over with. That's not entertainment. That's our lives and our livelihoods. Moreover, God wants you to be assured that when it comes to your life, your salvation, your family, all of history, it's not even close. God wants you to be assured of His victory and to know that God wins in this way. He is in control and in control and in control, and at just the right time, he says, okay, now it's time. Oh, look, man of lawlessness revealed and complete victory. At all times, at no point was anything not in his hand and him not leading it and not working it until he is ready for his complete and total victory. 
God wants you to know the victory is assured. You know, in Eastern religions, there's this idea of oppositions, a yin and a yang, balanced forces, the forces of good and the forces of evil, and these things sort of balance each other out. Dear Christian, I've got great news for you today. It is not like that at all. There is just God and no one who can oppose Him. The fact that there exists an opposition does not mean that this is in any way close. It's because God allows it for a time for His purposes, which He may not have revealed. But the good news is, and He's already revealed it here, He's not going to allow it forever. Someday, evil is done. Someday, lies and deception are over with. Someday, all opposition to His kingdom is finished. Someday, death will die and there will be no more death. There will be someday the very last tear shed, and then there will not be another one ever again. God is in control, and His victory is complete and total. What else does God want you to know? He wants you to know that you can trust Him, that you can trust Him. Dear Christian, put your faith in Christ and hold on what does God want us to do? Our last question today. What does God want you to do? He doesn't want you to be easily upset or troubled. He wants you to expect that there's going to be some nonsense. You, you can't go out in the world just believing everything. You've got to learn to expect some nonsense. To be a ch- the nature of being a child is that you just sort of believe what you read, right? I can remember a time when I'd read a book and go, oh my goodness, this is incredible. I never knew. And at some point, you get to another part in life where you read a book from a slightly different perspective, and you finally go, no, wait a second. Maybe there's a, something else here. I was recently, one of my children was reading a political magazine that I subscribe to. I like to read a lot of news magazines. And so one of the magazines that I subscribe to, one of my kids is reading it and comes to me and goes, Dad, did you know that global warming's a hoax? <laughs> and I say, shh, shh, shh. Dear child, bring me, that, bring me this magazine. What you have to read here at the top of the page is the word advertisement. And at the bottom of the page, advertisement. And that this guy is trying to sell a book. And that's why he's making crazy claims. And that this is not in the magazine. This is an advertisement. And it's a shame that they have it in here and allow for this sort of thing. But they've got to make a buck too and sell magazines. And so this is not true. Don't believe everything you read. In fact, you should ins- expect nonsense. You should expect lying. If you're looking for truth, look for it in God's Word. Otherwise, you should just go ahead and expect that there's going… That's why God revealed this. Is you're not going to be surprised when somebody is lying. Second, what should you be doing? You need to pursue the truth. Pursue and seek out wisdom in all things. This is why you might have news magazines sitting around your house. Pursue and seek out the truth. Pursue and seek out wisdom. The book of Proverbs presents wisdom as a woman. In fact, it's really interesting when you go read Proverbs. There are two women in Proverbs. There is the woman wisdom, and there's this other woman that the king is regularly advising his son to stay away from, the strange woman. There is 
the woman wisdom who is crying out on the street corner, who is saying to anyone who will listen, come and get wisdom. And then there's this other woman, the strange woman, that the son is supposed to avoid and do not follow that temptation and go after those things. And this is set before all of us today. Wisdom is crying out off the pages to you today. Get wisdom. God is a God who reveals himself. He has not revealed everything yet because he has a purpose to not reveal it yet, but he is a God who reveals things, and he has things that he wants you to know. The truth is not hidden. It's not hiding out. The only question is, are you going to pursue the truth or are you going to pursue a lie? The Russian dissident Alexander Solzhenitsyn said it this way. He was talking about the old USSR. This quote's probably 50 years old. He would say of the Russian generals, he says, we know they are lying. They know they're lying. They know we know they're lying. We know they know we know they're lying. And still they continue to lie. This has always been true and remains true now. There are people whose purpose is to deceive and they want to deceive, but not you. You pursue truth. Pursue wisdom no matter what. Pursue God's word. That's where you'll find it. And finally, what does God want you to do? He wants you to wait patiently on the Lord. When it comes to certain questions from the very beginning, Scripture doesn't answer them, but says you're going to have to wait on that answer. The first book to really address the problem of why bad things happen is the book of Job. And though Job is set several books later, it's not like the first book or the second book, the timing of Job is set very early in Scripture. You're supposed to know that that came and happened really early, that all this happens to Job. Job is suddenly caught in the middle of a cosmic struggle he doesn't know anything about and nobody tells him anything about. But that's the narrative and the story of his life are things that he can't understand, and he cries out to God for an answer, and God answers. But God doesn't tell him everything that he wants him to know, that he wants to know. God tells Job essentially that, Job, you are not able to understand all of these things, and that I, God, am not obliged to tell you yet. And the passage ends with Job needing to trust God, but finding that everybody who trusts God receives the blessings and mercy of God. Or put better for you and I today, Ephesians chapter 2. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul writes and says, it will take the ages to come for Christ to explain to you how much he loved you by dying on the cross. That's how I understand it anyway. That's my paraphrase, Ephesians chapter 2. In the ages to come, he will show you how much he loved you by sending Christ to die for you. There's a lot to know, and there's a lot of questions to be answered, and God is going to answer them, but right now the answer is, wait patiently on the Lord. Trust what God has revealed, and these other things will be answered as well and be answered in time. But for now, if you trust God and have faith, then the Christian life will be a life of waiting patiently on the Lord to answer these things in His time, knowing fully well that He will. 
Okay, so we've asked the passage a lot of questions today. We've asked a lot of questions today. Now it's your turn. Let me ask you a couple of questions, okay? Now, no longer are we going to ask questions of Scripture, but let's let it ask questions of us. Here they are. You ready? Are you going to be easily upset and troubled? Go ahead, answer it. Are you going to be easily upset and troubled? Are you going to learn to expect that there's going to be lies and nonsense out there? And are you going to look to God's Word for truth? Dear Christian, are you going to take heart and be of good courage today? Are you going to put your hope in Christ? Are you going to live joyfully, looking forward to the future, no matter how wild things look? Do you know that God is in complete control of the future and the present? Will you wait patiently on the Lord to bring answers in His time? Well, then I give you the same blessing that Paul gave. Well, then may the Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God our Father who has loved us and given us eternal encouragement and good hope by grace. May God encourage your hearts and may He strengthen you in every good work and may He strengthen you in every good word. Father God, I thank You that You are so gracious to us. I pray that You would strengthen us indeed. I pray that you would help us to believe and to wait patiently on the Lord. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need to come forward today, you